Last Sunday, I began the new study that we're going to be taking over the next months out of the book of Acts. We continue that study this morning from Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts lays out for us Christ's mission for his church. And in general, it boils down to this principle in the book of Acts. Start where you are to reach where he leads. All the way through the book of Acts, they are to start where they are, and then they are to go out from there to wherever Christ leads them, or God leads them, by the Holy Spirit. Commonly, I think we define missions as what we do across the ocean somewhere. And there are some very practical reasons for that definition. But really, the New Testament doesn't speak about missions, plural. The New Testament speaks about mission, singular. The the church, the church as a whole, of course, the universal body of Christ, but also each individual local church has one mission. We have been given one mission in this world, and that is the Great Commission, we call it, and that is to make disciples of all nations. That is the mission of the church. Our mission starts where we are and reaches where he leads until the whole world is reached for Christ. So our mission field is here and there, near and far, local and global, all at the same time. It's one mission. Now, in Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave the church her marching orders. And he also corrected two very serious errors that have caused the church to lose sight of her mission down through history. So first of all, in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, we are to focus on his mission, not our speculation. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 of Acts chapter 1. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, Jesus, saying, these are his disciples, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead, he taught his disciples for 40 days. And we talked a bit about that in introducing the book of Acts last Sunday. He gave the church her marching orders during these 40 days that he visited with them, appeared to them after his resurrection. And the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, His followers were gathered together, the text says, on the slopes of the Mount of Olives we know from elsewhere. Jesus had assembled them there. It was a gathering for his final instructions to them 
before he left them. He was sending them out to reach the world. I mean, these are literally Christ's final words to us before he ascended to heaven. The unfortunate part is the disciples were not thinking about mission here, were they? That was not at the forefront of their thought process. They were thinking about nation. They were thinking about the nation of Israel, their nation in particular. And so they ask, here they have him, you know, this final assembly, right? They have Jesus and they ask him, well, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They still didn't get it at all despite all of the teaching. They were not interested in reaching the world, particularly the Gentile world, us, you and me, most of us here, probably all of us. They wanted to rule the world. They knew all the promises about the Messiah. And they knew all the promises about the Messiah restoring the nation of Israel to her kingdom glory and ruling from the throne of David around this world and and they expected Jesus to fulfill these promises at this time okay we're ready now it's important to stop here and say Jesus does not correct their expectations did you notice that he doesn't say to them look you got it all wrong Why? Because their expectations are actually true. There is a future for the nation of Israel on this earth. And Christ, when he returns, will restore the nation of Israel. And he will rule from the throne of David. So he doesn't correct their expectations because their expectations were not false. Their timing was way off. And they were missing the whole point of what he was trying to tell them. But their expectations were correct. And this is the problem that the church has often had down through the centuries. Jesus, when he returns, is going to restore the kingdom of Israel. But that's not now. And we miss the point. And we have always had the tendency to miss the point regarding our mission. Acts is all about the church in action. We gather to go. And so you notice how Jesus responds to their question in verses 7 and 8. Jesus reminds us, and as he responds to them, he's teaching us, he reminds us that our knowledge is limited. It's not for us to know the times and the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. The Father has appointed, the Father has assigned this event when he will restore Israel, this event when Christ will return to this earth. He has assigned, appointed this event by his own authority. It's fixed. Because God is sovereign, nobody's going to change it, but we don't know when. And so 
Jesus rebuked them, and he rebukes us for our speculations. And the church has always had a tendency to spend way too much time speculating about the end times and way too little time witnessing to the world. What's our mission? It's to witness. There's nothing wrong with thinking about these things, studying these things and all of that. Nothing wrong with that. I love it myself. But we can't get sidetracked from the mission. And the church has a tendency to do that. And we just had Exhibit A recently, did we not? (laughs) Of that tendency in the Christian church. And we certainly need to hear this exhortation today. I mean, we've just watched Harold Camping make another false prediction about the return of Christ. And now it's changed to, uh, I don't know, October or something, I think it is now. It, it makes me angry, quite frankly. It really does. It, it really ticks me off. Because here is a man who is violating the teaching of Scripture. We don't know when. We don't. Know. I mean, how, how much? What part of that doesn't don't we get? <laughs> it's pretty clear, isn't it? We don't know. So stop speculating and get to work. There's a job to do, a mission to be carried out. Don't get caught up in all the endless speculations that do nobody any good. It's not for us to know these things. We should think of ourselves like soldiers on a mission. This is beyond our need to know. This knowledge is beyond our pay grade. God gets paid those big bucks, not us. It's not not up to us to know when. And God intends it to be that way. Our knowledge is limited. Secondly, he says here that our power is spiritual. It's not political. It's not military. It's spiritual. The church receives her power from God. Christians receive their power from the Holy Spirit. And the word power means the ability or the capacity for carrying out a mission, a task, an assignment. We receive that capacity to carry out the mission, that ability to carry out the mission, after the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And the verb means to come upon someone as a a superior power comes upon an inferior power. So the Holy Spirit is God. He is almighty power. And as almighty power, he comes upon us who are (laughs) finite in power, weak. And he enables, he empowers us to carry out the mission that he calls us to do. Now, we will say much more about this power in the weeks ahead. Because the book of Acts is really all about the acts of the Holy Spirit of God working through his apostles, through his people in this world. As he empowers ordinary people 
People like you, like me, to do extraordinary things in the book of Acts and beyond. What we have to remember is that without the Holy Spirit, we can do what? Nothing. Zilch. Nada. Zip. Nothing of any eternal value without the Holy Spirit working through us. We can plan the best programs. We can do the best job that we can do. We can gather the most money we can gather. We can do all of these things, but we can do nothing of kingdom value unless the Holy Spirit does it through us. It is God at work. And that is the theme of Acts all the way through as we take a look at this book. And we have to remember that as we begin. But with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can change the world. And the disciples literally did. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Third, our witness is global. Our mission is to be Christ's witnesses. A witness is someone who testifies to what he or she has seen or knows to be true. That's what a witness does. Our job is to be witnesses to what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. So the disciples were told to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the end of the earth. Now, as many have pointed out, the verse lays out really a a very neat sequential outline for the book of Acts. You could take Acts 1.8 and you can chop up the book of Acts and realize how it breaks down because Jerusalem and the work in Jerusalem covers Acts 1 through 7. Judea and Samaria cover Acts 8 through 12. And the ends of the earth cover Acts 13 to 28 and, of course, beyond, because they only get as far as Rome, which is hardly the entire ends of the earth. But because they reach Rome, they begin to then permeate through the world from there. And Acts, we said last Sunday, remember, is an open-ended book. It doesn't have a conclusion written. At the end of Acts, Paul is still preaching the kingdom of God in Rome. And we are Acts 29 and 30 and ongoing. We are continuing the story of Acts all the way down through history to our day as God the Holy Spirit works through the mission of his church. So we are part, of course, of the ends of the earth here. (laughs) We certainly would have been to the first century apostles. We would have been really the ends of the earth. And we are. We're part of the ends of the earth here in Maine. So uh, there is a sequential aspect to this verse. They started where they were to reach where he led. But there is another aspect to this verse that I want to to, uh, come down on this morning, really hit hard this morning, because it is an important aspect for all of us to see. The verse is not merely sequential. It is simultaneous in mentality or mindset. It has to do with the missional or missionary mindset or mentality that every Christian and every local church needs to have to be healthy. 
I want you to notice how the verse reads. It is not just Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. Did you notice that? It is you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. There is a mentality, there is a mindset that is a missional mindset that is embedded in this verse that is supposed to be the missional mindset of every Christian and every believer. It is a simultaneous mission. It's the missionary model of Acts. And that's why I like the term that I came across in my reading in the last year, the term glocal. Because the missionary mindset or the missional model of Acts is both local and global. We think with the heart of God for the whole world, even as we invest ourselves locally by the heart of God and the power of God in our community. It's both. It is global then. The X18 missional model has to be our focus here at Galilee to be a healthy church. So I want to talk to you about this for a minute. We need to think of our mission in the same framework as the Jerusalem as the Jerusalem church. But we're located in Gorham, Maine. We need to be simultaneously reaching Gorham and Maine and America and the world, right? That's our missional mindset. Now, of course, we cannot practically reach every single person ourselves, but our mindset needs to be both local and global. We need a global vision as a church, like, just like they needed, and that is the Acts 1-8 model for the local church. Let's be, I want to be very practical in our study of Acts here and talk about how these things apply to you and me and us as a church. So let's take a look at our missions, uh, our mission here as a local church, our missions budget. We, we, we call it the missions budget. Devotes $22,000 to global work. $6,000 to ministries in America and $19,950 to ministries in Maine. And then, of course, our local church budget focuses largely upon the area that we live in right here in Gorham. So it's our way of trying to fulfill the Acts 1-8 model. We're trying to do both and at the same time. But there's a real challenge here. It's, it's one thing, you know, to devote money to a budget, to people who are doing something in Africa or South America or whatever, and that's very important. But it is also another thing to think through how do we focus in a missional way right here locally in our ministries. So if we narrow our focus this morning to our Jerusalem Judea and Samaria, we are looking at Gorham, and we are looking at Maine, and we are looking at America. Three levels, if you will, of our mission. And armed with the U.S. Census data from 2010, 
I know this is boring stuff, but it helps us understand our mission field. Because, by the way, America is rapidly becoming a major mission field. And Maine is definitely a major mission field. All right? It helps us to understand what our local mission field looks like. Let me throw some stuff up here. For the first time in U.S. history, married couples are now a minority in America, 48%. The number of singles grew 9.6% in the decade from 2000. The number of single moms grew three times faster than married moms. The number of older people who are widowed or divorced is growing rapidly, increasing the number of singles in our culture. And the average age to get married is now 28 for males and 26 for females. So average is 27 is the average age for marriage now. So more and more singles in our culture. And all of this says that the church needs has to reach singles today. Furthermore, America has an aging population. The median age of America is the highest ever at 37.2. The number of people over 85 years of age rose almost 30% in 10 years. Of course, we are still mostly white as a country, and here's, here's an interesting one, always boggles my mind. Christianity is cl- the claimed religion by 75% of our culture, <laughs> which presents its own kinds of challenges when we try to witness, does it not? All right, how about Maine? Well, Maine is now officially the oldest state in the country. We have the oldest median age in the nation at 42.7. So the country's aging, but Maine is really aging. (laughs) In Maine, the number of people under 19 dropped 8.2% as our young people fled the state over the last 10 years for other parts of the country. The number of people between 55 and 64 grew 55.9%, and the number of people 65 to 74 grew 19.7%. We are an aging state. We need to pay attention to that mission field as a church, certainly, in Maine. Minorities in Maine grew 37%, over the last 10 years. So the minority population in Maine is growing rapidly, due largely to immigration, of course, to the Portland area, Portland in particular, with the largest demographic grouping in Portland as the Sudanese and Somali population. We have a missionary, Beth Wilson, who targets that, and we support her in doing a wonderful job reaching that ethnic population in, in Portland because it's growing rapidly. Finally, we have the third lowest church attendance in the entire country. (laughs) Now there's one to hang your hat on, right? Third lowest. Number one is Vermont. Number two is New Hampshire. We are number three. Massachusetts is number four. The four lowest in church attendance are all right here. 
the Northeast New England is becoming a very unchurched culture. That's our mission field. That's not just a challenge, that's an opportunity. Because God has planted us as a church here. And he has planted you as Christians here. And he has planted me as a pastor here. This is our mission field. Our Judea and Samaria, if you will. All right, how about uh, Gorham? Well, Gorham is the fastest growing town in Maine. Number one. And followed by Wyndham and Scarborough, our near neighbors. This area is rapidly growing in population. It is also younger than the rest of the state and nation. The median age here in Gorham is 34.6. And the largest segment of population here in Gorham is between 18 and 24 years of age. That's the largest single segment of our population. Almost two times as many as any other segment of the population. Now why? It's obvious, right up the street. University of Southern Maine, right? So there is a huge opportunity for ministry to the young adult population, the single young adult population, right here in our backyard. It's an area we ought to be reaching for Christ. Now, Gorham is also more affluent than the rest of the state. Median income in Gorham is 68,000 versus 46,000 in the rest of the state. And it is more educated than the rest of the state. Bachelor's degrees of 26% versus 18% in the rest of the state. All right, I think it is important that we focus our attention for a minute on our local mission field because the, the principle of Acts is you start where you are to reach where he leads. A a local church has to start where we are to be healthy. And armed with that data, let me suggest three targets for our church ministry as we move ahead. And uh, there certainly are others, but these are three targets that jump out at me as I've studied the the census data that's been coming out over, over these last couple of months. Target number one, is, of course, the young adult population. There is a huge mission field right on our doorstep for reaching college and young adults with the message of Jesus Christ. And we're doing very, very little with it. And it is a tremendous opportunity to to share, to be witnesses to this community. The second target, target number two, is the single adult population in our area. And here I'm I'm thinking mostly about men and women who are divorced or widowed because the, the young adults, the singles prior to marriage, are already included in target number one, if you will. So I'm primarily thinking of the singles Uh, single adults who have have been through divorce or who are widowed or widowers. And there is a growing population in our Judea in Maine of this demographic group. What can we do to reach the single adult population here in Maine? And the third target, target number three, is the growing and active senior population, obviously. As Maine ages, we will see more and more people in this age bracket. 
because people are actually moving back to Maine as they age. Now, I have a, I have a suspicion that it's a, it's a split population, right? <laughs> They're back here for part of the year and elsewhere for part of the year, but it, it is still a wide open mission field for our church here in our Judea and Samaria. What can we do to improve our witness to this demographic? Now, I invite you and the elders, all of us together, some of us have been doing this, Pastor Tom and I have been doing this, others have been doing it, to brainstorm together regarding how we reach these targets. What do we need to do in ministry to more effectively reach the targets of our, our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, right here where we are. So if you have ideas, I'd love to hear them. Pastor Tom would love to hear them. We, we're, going to, we're working on this, because to be a healthy church, we need to do better in this whole area of ministry. Taking the resources we have as a church and reaching out right here, in our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria, if you will, to these kinds of targets. Obviously, God the Holy Spirit, that's my prayer, that God the Holy Spirit just works in us and percolates in us so that we begin to think through as individuals and as a church how we can better witness, how we can better carry out his mission here in Gorham. That's the challenge. All right, principle number two this morning. We are to move out, not stand around. Verses 9 through 11. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, this is the only place in the New Testament where the ascension of Jesus is actually described, certainly mentioned in other places, but described here. A cloud received him out of their sight as they stood on the Mount of Olives together. That must have been an incredible event, right? Can you imagine being there as all of this took place? Wow! Amazing! We don't know how many people were there, but I suspect it was a pretty good crowd because the word that he uses here, assembly, this gathering, refers to a gathering of a significant number of people. You're not talking about one or two. You're, you're talking about the church here, basically, gathered. And remember the principle, we gather to go, not to stand around and stay. And... They're all there, and they're watching all of this happen, and they're standing in awe, and they're gazing, looking upward, staring upward, and two men in white raiment, angels, obviously, sent from God, speak to them. And this is a rebuke as well. It's a mild rebuke, but it is a rebuke. They are being corrected here with this question. Why are you standing around staring up? <laughs> well, 
That's perfectly logical. We just saw an incredible event. Of course we're standing around staring up. This is a real wow. Why are you standing around staring up? Move out. Get going. Get to work. That's the point. I mean, if I'd been there, I'd have been standing around staring up, wouldn't you? And God says, stop standing around. Stop staring up. Get busy. I gave you a mission. Get going. Here's the problem for all of us, isn't it? It's easy for us as a church to get caught up in the wow factor and forget our marching orders. To get caught up in the feel-good, the amazement, the worship of God and forget our marching orders. So Easter Sunday we have a fabulous worship service, right? Great, wonderful worship service. Are we doing anything? Are we going anywhere? Are we accomplishing anything? We gathered, we praised God on Sunday mornings. Great. Why are we standing around going, wow? There's a job to do. There's a mission to be carried out. That's what God would say to us. The point is get busy. And the last warning that Jesus gives to his disciples was not to wonder about when he will return. He's coming back. Don't worry about it. It's guaranteed. But we are to focus on being his witnesses in this world. We are to move out, not stand around. We are to go, not stay. Last Sunday we saw that Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom of God. As Acts begins, we also pointed out that as Acts ends, he's talking about the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom of God. When I was in Morocco a number of years ago with uh, John Andrews, um, this whole concept was brought home to me in a fresh way because, of course, in Morocco, it's illegal to be, to be proselytizing. It's an Islamic country. And so we were headed into the bank one day, and he was telling me, he said, now, we don't use the word missionary here. You can't mention missionary. So what did I do when we got in the bank? Well, where do you get your missionary funds from? <laughs> Duh! So afterwards he says, Dave, Dave, we don't talk like that here. <laughs> we work for the company. I like that. We work for the company, and it's the greatest company in the world. We're kingdom workers. We work for the company. If anybody asks us where we get our funds, if where we get paid, we say, from the company. I work for the company. Well, we do. We work for the kingdom of God. We are a small part, folks, of something big. We are a little outpost here at Galilee of God's kingdom in this world. We are kingdom workers. 
Imagine our church here like a military garrison on the frontier. And God is growing his kingdom around this world until Christ returns. And we get to be part of that kingdom growth as we witness here in our little world in Gorham. But we're part of something huge in the little part we play. Don't lose sight of that. In his book, What Good is God?, Philip Yancey tells a true story from Afghanistan. It took place in the early 1970s, before the Russian occupation or the Taliban regime. And at the time, the government allowed a small Christian church there in Kabul to service the international community. Though no Afghans were supposed to attend the Christian church, of course. A friend of Philip Yancey's named Len organized a musical team of young people to tour countries in the Middle East. And at the last minute, they added a stop in Kabul, Afghanistan. And uh, he was a little worried about that. And so before they arrived there in the country, he instructed the teenagers very, very strictly. He said, this is a strict Muslim government. If you say the wrong thing, you could end up in prison and at the same time jeopardize every Christian who lives in this country. So memorize these words. They actually scripted what they were going to say. Memorize these words and don't dare stray from them when we perform in our musical concerts. Teens all looked at him like this. He said, wow. So they got to Kabul, the official concert. Almost a thousand Afghans filled this, this hall to listen to this American musical team of teenagers, and everything was going well until one teenager on the team, in the middle of the concert, he puts down his guitar and he starts talking. Hey, I'd like to tell you about my best friend, a man named Jesus, and how he has changed my life. And on the side, off the stage, Len is over there, he's wildly going, No, no, you can't do this, you can't talk like that. The teenager just totally ignored him. Don't you just love that? Just totally ignored him, right? And went right on talking. Gave his whole testimony, shared the gospel and everything else. Well, the most amazing thing happened in that concert hall. The Minister of Cultural Affairs for Afghanistan was in the audience. The guy who controls all this stuff. And he stood and walked to the stage at the end, to respond. He said, We have seen many American young people come through this country. Most of them come for drugs, and most look like hippies. We have not seen nor heard from young people like you. God's love is a message my country needs. How thrilled I am to hear you. You are a prototype for the youth of Afghanistan to follow in the future. I would like to invite you to expand your tour so that you visit every college and faculty and also give this very same message on Kabul radio. I will make it happen for you. (laughs) So over the next few days, the musical team held other performances and at, at each event... Afghan young people crowded around the teenagers with questions. Some asked to pray with teenagers to receive Jesus as their personal savior. Nothing like it had ever happened in Afghanistan. On the last day, the teenagers met 
a veteran missionary named J. Christie Wilson. Now, J. Christie Wilson was there in, the, in that whole region when I was growing up as a kid in, in the 1960s. He's a well-known and very revered missionary from that whole realm. Oh, company worker, kingdom worker, excuse me. He drove the teenagers to an unusual tourist site. It is the only cemetery in Afghanistan where infidels could be buried. That is, non-Muslims. We're infidels. He walked to the first gravestone in the cemetery. It's all pitted with age. And he said, this man worked here 30 years and translated the Bible into the Afghan language. Not a single convert in 30 years. And in this grave next to him lies a man who replaced him, along with his children who died here. He toiled for 25 years, and he baptized one, the first Afghan convert. That's 55 years. But as they strolled among the gravestones, he told the stories of early missionaries and their fates. At the end of the row, he stopped, and he turned, and he looked at the teenagers. He looked them straight in the eye, and he said, For 30 years... One man moved rocks. That's all he did. He moved rocks. Then came his replacement who did nothing but dig furrows. There came another who planted seeds and another who watered. And now you kids, you kids are bringing in the harvest. It was one of the greatest moments of my life, Len recalls. I watched the faces of the teens as it suddenly dawned on them, these excited, exuberant American teenagers living in the now, that they, that the amazing spiritual awakening they had witnessed was but the last step in a long line of faithful service stretching back over decades. <laughs> we are part, we are a little part of something Huge that God is doing in this world. And most of the time, we don't even grasp that hugeness of God's kingdom work in this world. Isn't that amazing? Growing churches are going churches. Living churches are sending churches. You said, Dave, I can't go to Afghanistan. Well, okay, most of us can't. You're right. But you don't need to, unless, of course, God leads you there. The principle for all of us in the book of Acts is what? Start where you are to reach where he leads. Your Jerusalem, wherever it is, Buxton, Limington, Standish, Gorham, Westbrook, Scarborough, and I'm leaving out a whole bunch because we're from all over the place. Where's your Jerusalem. As a church, our Jerusalem, we start where we are to reach where he leads. That's the principle we need to grasp. And let him do the work through us, but be available. Carrie Oberbrunner was the, is the author of Your Secret Name. He shared a story about his encounter with an older man named Bob. Carrie went to the local gym there, and he was working out. And he noticed an elderly man named Bob fumbling with his MP3 player. At first, Carrie tried to ignore the man, but as the man was becoming really frustrated with the technology, 
Carrie reluctantly went over to him and asked if he could give him a hand. The man explained, Hi, I'm Bob, and I love jazz, but I can't get it on this dumb player. When Carrie asked Bob if he had heard of iTunes, Bob shot back, I what? It slowly dawned on Carrie that God had placed Bob in his path at the gym for a reason. So he began to talk to him. They set a date when they could spend some time unraveling the intricacies of the MP3 player and his computer. Carey visited him in his apartment. Turns out his wife had died a couple of years before. All his earthly possessions, she had been the breadwinner. They'd lost their home. All of his earthly possessions were crammed into a small apartment. So while importing his collection of jazz music to the computer and then to the MP3 player, They talked about life, his wife, about God. And in the weeks following, Carrie began to connect with Bob at the gym and call him up later and that kind of thing. Bob is 71. Carrie is 32. Bob is black. Carrie is white. Bob doesn't have much money. Carrie has more than he needs. Bob is an ex-convict. Carrie's never been in prison in his whole life. Bob is a widower. Carrie is married. They They, they couldn't be more different. But God had put them together. Start where you are to reach where he leads. Eventually, Carrie began talking further with him, invited him to church, their all-white church, where Bob was the only black guy. And continued to talk to him until eventually Carrie, uh, Bob agreed to pray and ask Jesus to be his savior. And as he looked at him following that event, Carrie writes, Bob changed my life, the life of my church. I get more joy from him than he'll ever understand. Whenever I say goodbye to him at the YMCA or, YMCA or hang up the phone after talking with him, he always tells me to give his love to my family. He wants me to baptize him this June at our next baptism. I'm saddened by the reality that I almost missed Bob simply because I was too engrossed in my own little world. Father, everywhere we go, we are to be your witnesses, but we get caught up in our own little worlds and doing our own little things. And even as a church, we can get caught up in our programs and our tasks and lose sight of your mission. Develop in us a missional mindset, I pray, that we might reach where we are with the message of your Son, Jesus Christ, as we go wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.